Chaser Report is recorded on Gadigal land. Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report with Dom and Charles. Without Charles today, we have an improvement in our personnel. We have Ange Lavoie <laughs> from the Schmeitgeist podcast produced by ABC Every Day. Friend of the show, journalist and stand-up comic. Ange, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Congrats on the new series of Schmeitgeist. Thank you. Our final episode uh, in the season is out today. So all eight are out in the world and, yeah, I do feel... I don't know. I mean, I've heard about giving birth. I haven't given birth, <laughs> but I feel it feels. I imagine how that feels, except you know, if it was octuplets. Octuplets. Wow. Yeah. Eight mm. little babies. Eight. Well, let's talk about a couple yeah. of your babies. <laughs> let's talk about the anti-capitalism uh, sentiment that's sweeping across uh, young people. Apparently, uh, also online ADHD diagnoses. I'm keen to get into yeah. and. We'll finish up with some polyamory. Yeah, why not? All what these massive dessert? trends, as um, as <laughs> isolated by Ange and the team. After this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, so this is very interesting. Um, the there's a cute term for cost of living challenges. You see, mm. you're so plugged into what's going. I have no idea about all this, but I I think we're all feeling the same pain. But mm. millennials have used it to create content. I think we maybe even have Gen Z to thank for this one. Oh, yeah. So Cosy Lives, if you've not oh, of heard course it. It's, it's in- I've got to update my references. It's Gen Z, not millennials yeah. are old now. I keep forgetting. <laughs> Cosy Lives, wow. Cosy Lives, baby. Um, yeah, Cosy Lives, which is, you know, look, it's been something that I've been noticing for a while is this sort of broad anti-capitalist sentiment that crops up. You know, I think it's visible in a lot of places and I was aware of it. It was sort of in my periphery, but it really uh, smashed in and felt it felt as if I couldn't ignore it anymore. When I was watching this uh, drama unfold on the internet about Depop resellers. Now, Depop, if you're not aware, is a platform where mainly Gen Z sells each other secondhand clothes. I am so not aware. There you go. So so some people have professionalised. They will go to the op shop and like during the weekend just like come back with a big bag of stuff and then they sell it in a much more organised way and they'll post their, quote, thrift hauls on a platform such as TikTok. So there's this subcategory of genre and it's quite like – it's, it's a lot of fun to watch in the first place and it's they're very funny. It's like everything's vintage and like I, I just love this one and you guys are going to love this and oh my God, I just, I think I'm going to keep it. No, no, I won't. I'll, I'll put it on. It'll be on so my shelf. So they love the authenticity and, of the old tat that they've Yeah, everything's, and everything's vintage and it's and it's yeah. really funny anyway. But um, there was this one Depop reseller named Jack uh, in, in America and uh, she's like this sweet seeming kid and she's posting her thrift haul like she does every few days and it blows up like six, seven million views, wow. right? And ten and a half thousand comments last I checked. Now, some of those comments were like, oh, like you've got great taste. And some of them were really mean and really uh, calling her a landlord. A landlord. A landlord. Oh, wow. Now, uh, that that really jumped out at me because, I mean, this was a debate that was going on about the Depop, Depop girlies uh, and their, the, the, in the Depop resellers who were 
in the words of the critics of this practice, gentrifying um, thrift stores and right. shops. So, but and you would think that um, in general parlance, like traditional values of, of Western society, someone who goes and buys something cheaply and resells it for a lot of money, that would be a win for most people. You're, you're using your ingenuity and your skills. Mm. You buy something and you make money out of it. But this makes you apparently a landlord. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was an argument that they were denuding the, the op shops in, in their area of mm. the high quality uh, products that, you know, someone of a lower income may have, you know, benefited from. And making a profit off it, you know, the critics would argue with very little effort. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and, it so, is, and so that is like compared to quote rent seeking mm, the la- landlord behavior. But it, it is kind of gentrifying, Vinnie's, isn't it? I mean, if, if you think about <laughs> it, someone going in there getting the best stuff. Let's well, degent. It's slumifying, Vinnie's. Just, yeah, it's like so, taking it out or whatever. But, so people who really need to buy cheap clothes yeah. just to have clothes can't afford it because right. all the good stuff yeah, gone and, online to to be bought up by um, people with big budgets who think it's all ter- terribly authentic. That actually is really annoying. That well, person's a total okay, landlord. You're getting sucked into it. Okay, so. This is, okay, here's the thing. I I look. There are arguments, valid arguments on both sides mm. of the uh, the Depop walls. How ABC of you? I know. No, no. Hear me out. Uh, this is incredibly un ABC this <laughs> episode because what I took from that was actually holy shit. Everyone just understands. Everyone in this audience who is young, by the way, yeah. um, understands that landlord is a slur. Mm. Well, that's. And, I mean, if you ask anyone in a major Australian city at this point, they would agree. I mean, yeah, the fucking this- rent increases that are coming through right. are insane. And you had some audio in this episode of Schmeitgeist where um, you've just got young people just sharing. And this, this is what, what young people do is a bad life experience happens and they just immediately do a post about it. There's no filter. My rent just got put up by $700 a week, I think, was the clip that you Yeah, used. $700 and um, people kind of freaking out about where they're going to live. You mm. know, we can't afford to move, you know, let alone pay this rent increase. And if you search on TikTok, like, you know, rental crisis or rent, you know, and look in any city, you can see all this playing out in real time. So, yeah, you can see where it comes from. But I was super interested that one, okay, even the language gentrifying, landlord, basically this is, I think a generation, and I'm part of it as well, by the way. So it's like, it's like millennials and down Mm. uh, who have developed essentially a kind of sensitivity to inequality, particularly economic inequality, and feel really strongly uh, about capitalism in particular. And this is like, yes, I can see examples of it online. You can see it, you know, Cosy Lives, you can see it like the the discourse around Nepo babies, for example, basically just this, this total um, uh, focus on on inequality and sensitivity to it that wasn't there before, like yeah, ten years Lily ago. Lily Rose Depp's not getting a nice time no, like that, on she's the internet, having a hard time because she got that uh, role in The Idol, and also she was like, you know, walked for Chanel and everything, and so people look at Lily Rose Depp and go, mm, is it because of your dad? And yeah, I think that you can see this play out in polls as well. So I was I was interested to find because there isn't heaps of polling about this, but when we dug for it. In 2018, there was polling that showed that 59% of millennials believed that capitalism had failed. Now that's 20. That's 2018. That's pretty extraordinary, and that's, that's a that's lot. Pre-economic crisis that's, at the moment, right? So mm. the rental crisis has got worse since then. Yeah, wage growth has been has been uh, stagnant that whole time. And so you can only imagine that that 59% is higher now than it was before. And you have Gen Z added into the cohort as well. You can see it reflected, um, at 
the at, at in elections as well. So in 2022, mm. um, you know, we saw millennials reach an age where historically speaking, they would have drifted to the right, but they're not doing that. At the very moment in uh, this cohort's life when they would t- typically have started voting for the coalition or a greater number yeah. of them would have, um, it's not happening at all. They went away. They drifted away in huge numbers. Well, this, yeah, this is the stereotype is you start out super, super left. Yeah, the same. At university and so on. And then yeah. by the time you, if you're not a you socialist, die, you're incredibly right wing. If you're not a socialist at 25, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative at 35, you have no brain. Well, so but, goes the saying. But also, so goes the saying. When but, you have nothing, you think everything should be shared. When you have a lot of assets, you want to hold. You want to hoard <laughs> them. But this is the thing. I mean, I certainly, whenever I interview people, kind of th- mid thirties and below, you get the sense that no one actually believes that there's a bright future. And this no. is the really fascinating thing. And and certainly for me, we, we always thought that if we did what we were supposed to do, you know, I'm I'm mid forties. If you did what you were supposed to do, it was all going to come good. You know, yeah. you were going to be able to have a house. You're going to be able to have a lifestyle. You're going to be able to go on holidays, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And even in my generation now, it, it's clearly mm-hmm. not really working out like that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But in the in the younger generation, holy shit, it's completely bleak. What's <laughs> yeah. the point of doing anything? Where's the motivation? And yeah. I completely understand that. It yeah. just seems like pointless grind. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, you can absolutely do away with whatever cliches used to exist before about like, oh, young people don't care about politics. Like maybe uh, they're drifting away from the centre. Um, but, and, you know, in the States, maybe like voter engagement is down, but they're like, they're not, they're, it's not because they don't care. It's because mm. they don't believe that the largely centrist political options on the table uh, have the solution, have any kind of solutions for them because they're still by and large reflecting um, the values of the sort of 20, 30, 40 years that came before from an economic yeah. perspective, you know, business as usual. And you get and, people like AOC, uh, Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. Ocasio in the States who really seem to be from this from this tribe who yeah. are going, you know what, the system is actually quite yeah. broken and, and she would call herself a democratic socialist. Mm-hmm. But I got the sense, Anne, from your... Um, investigation to all this, the people aren't really subscribing to labels. And in many cases, there's some sort of bizarre blends of left and right and and that the old paradigms might even be broken. So left to right, not relevant anymore, particularly yeah, right. not the younger you go. So you can see, um, you know, there, there are subreddits that are, you know, devoted to r- these really fine grain political surveys, like, you know, you, you would have seen it. So you've got like the left to right axis, for example, and then across that you have libertarian mm. to, um, uh, to what's the word I'm looking for? Authoritarian. Authoritarian, yeah. thank you so much. I think Elon um, Musk even tweeted this at one point. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you can find like Mario and Luigi placed on. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, apparently Mario's authoritarian right. Why? <laughs> I, they go through it. I'm it's like it's, there was like I've watched part of a Twitch stream. He's about a this. blue collar worker, Ange. He's right, a plumber, right? Yeah. So he's got some um, oh. like union association, but his Catholic background oh, small business means too. that yeah, small business. Oh, uh, right. And and then yeah, and then you know maybe some pro abortion views potentially. We don't know. So uh. that's putting a massive <laughs> like most of his friends are mushrooms. I think we're possibly overanalyzing this. But, I don't know what you mean, but it's certainly true that um, yeah, it does seem as though. There's just an absence of hope. And so when people, um, I guess, in the past have been fed the American dream and the notion that it, the system rewards hard work and, and opportunity is there for all, yeah, what do you do? And, and the thing that I found a bit sad about, about your episode about this with smart guys <laughs> is that they didn't really – there didn't really seem to be an answer. There's not like a panacea. There's no theory that's unifying people. There's nothing that's – Well, the, I mean, the thing when, that is unifying people mm. is anti-capitalism. 
That's yeah, so, what's interesting. But they're so, against the thing, but they're not for anything. I mean, I remember when people crowded the streets for Barack Obama mm. with hope and change and, and all this stuff, and, and that didn't really pan out to any major shifts. I mean, he was still had a cabinet full of people from Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So well, what are people marching for now? What do people want other I think, than I think, okay, this so there's, sucks? There's a couple of ways that this plays, right? Um, when you have even more of these people, the, the generations who are t- completely um, who have a total lack of faith in capitalism and the existing structures, when they are all in a vote in a voting age, then you start to see a broad coalition form to choose an alternative. And but it would need to be broad. It would need to be yeah. incredibly broad because you know we were looking in this episode at like MAGA communists, like people who support Donald Trump and support Mar- like Karl Marx. How does that work? How right. does that someone who supports Donald Trump? The most, you know, dedicated person to private ownership imaginable yeah. is also a communist. Do they not understand I, I think, who Donald Trump is? You know, there are some elements of, because the other part about Trump is that, of course, he's, and I'm not an advocate, you're not pro-Trump, but, um, but that you know, is hugely, at least in his rhetoric, um, anti, like globalist, oh, anti, yes. sta- like how you can be a billionaire and yet anti-elite, but it kind of works. There, y- there, it yeah. does make sense. There are, there are, and like that's that is elites. one mm. corner, okay. right? And it, look, I mean, interestingly, you know, as an example of the left-right political spectrum blowing apart and people bundling together previously you know, the sorts of beliefs you just would never have seen together. Mm. Um, You know, Donald Trump is, would speak out against and did speak out against cutting social security in some instances and people, um, you know, like quite stridently. And so people were like, yeah, like, because it's a pop and that's a populist sort of move. Well, he may well be about to, um, you know, live in socialised housing in jail. (laughs) We'll have to find out. Okay. So left, right um, is irrelevant. Left, right is gone. And then this uh, is- Libertarian is the new paradigm. Yeah, some, I mean, look, the point is people are abandoning the centre yeah. uh, and they are splitting off in more directions than they previously used to because they have access to um, a more diverse range of, like the, the menu is just larger because these are generations that have grown up on the internet. So, and so in, they're not taking to the streets, they're taking to TikTok. Yeah, and also they are getting some pretty like fringe ideas online and some, like some of them are dangerous, some of them are not, some of them are just fringe, um, you know, isms that I couldn't provide you with a definition for. You have like, tw- you know, 12 year olds <laughs> who were seriously like this is, we interviewed this great um, internet researcher, Joshua Citarella, who monitors um, emerging like political patterns in Gen Z and, and has been like looking at those movements in like yeah, 12, 12 to 17-year-olds in some cases and, you know, who have like a commitment to, if not the the practices, then the ideals of someone like Ted Kaczynski. You know, Ted like, is the Unabomber. Yes, yes, the Unabomber but wow. who, who wrote this 35,000-page manifesto which was all like anti-tech and, you know, mm. and so it's like a primitivist. I, I think I'm using that correctly. For, forgive me any Ted Kaczynski fans who are listening. <laughs> yeah. who, Kaczynski's still a bit of our audience. Please don't po- post and None of us open our letters anymore. That's part of his legacy. So there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it completely rings true to me, Ange, that the old um, system doesn't seem to be, to work at all. There's no hope for the future. Um, what will it be replaced by? I guess we'll find out. In a moment, though, I want to find out about why everyone's diagnosing themselves with ADHD and polyamory is apparently taking off. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Chaser Report. News you can't trust. Okay, and so... ADHD, I've certainly seen a lot of people using this language and saying, oh, maybe I've got it and looking at, at various things. And I've always wanted to know where does a particular kind of personality uh, kind of end and a diagnosis of ADHD begin? Because, I mean, people who are messy or whatever, a bit disorganised, a bit creative, a lot of them have been saying that I've heard, well, I have ADHD, I reckon. Well, I think it's like a false split, right? And I say this as someone who has had a recent ADHD diagnosis. So uh, in November of last year, I got a diagnosis. Having ADHD did take me until February to get treated, Uh, but it's been a game changer. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was really good. But I'm part, I'm part of this wave. Um, We don't know exactly how big it is, but we do know, I mean, that there is this unprecedented demand at the moment for psychiatrists so much so that it, you know, you you can pay $3,000 out of pocket out-of-pocket sets on top of what Medicare will contribute for a diagnosis alone, for an assessment alone. I remember when the government said, look, we're going to double the number of psychologist consults available per year on Medicare, a lot of people were really angry because it meant they were less likely to be able to get in. That's how popular it is to go and see a therapist these days. Well, yeah, but, I mean, beyond that, so, I mean, there's a, there's psychologists, there's therapists, there's all kinds of counsellors you can go and see for mental mm. health support, but psychiatry is its own thing, right, yeah. because these are people with medical degrees, they are doctors in the traditional sense, and and they, you know, there are nowhere near enough to go around at the moment. So there is this weird bottleneck that's going on. I mean, that's one indication of demand. But yeah, yeah. looking at the looking at the wave and like how people are, I guess, assessing this. What we wanted to get to the bottom of with this episode was really like sincerely assess the claim that social media makes ADHD has made it cool somehow. And no one can see the inverted Mm. commas I'm doing with my fingers, but I am. So this idea that there is something attractive about it. And I think the impulse that a lot of um, particularly progressive people have and people in in the neurodivergent community as well have is to push back against that and say, of course not. Of course, there's nothing attractive about it. Of course, there's, you know, it's it's difficult having it. And that is true that it is difficult. But I think there is a little more nuance to it than that in that it's not that people might wish that they had ADHD, but they may, there's something attractive about, you look for an answer. And if you think that you already have it, mm. then the the idea of solutions is a really attractive one. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't, for so many millennia, we've all wanted to try and create a better version of ourselves, like the, for, through whatever reason, through whatever right. method. And so if you think, well, there's something that, that's wrong about my life that could be fixable. Yeah, I can see the appeal of that. Yeah. And, you know, when you have a context where the stigma associated with ADHD has dramatically lowered, which is an mm. overwhelmingly positive thing, um, you have a diagnostic environment where, look, we used to just think that it was like a 
like Bart Simpson was the ADHD archetype and anyone who sort of <laughs> fell outside that was, you know, by and large missed in yeah. the last few decades. But we've adjusted our diagnostic crit- criteria really significantly and it means that all of a sudden we are catching up. A lot of adult women um, are getting a diagnosis adult men to it, but it is pr- particularly pronounced in women. And so, yeah, there is this framework now for catching those people. We have a non-deficit model for talking about it. That's why you hear the word neurodivergent. So we're not saying, hey, you lack something. We're saying you're different. It's just, mm. it's just you know, a fundamental shift in the way that we think about this stuff and talk about this stuff. And so, yeah, less stigma. Uh, and then, you know, these very, uh, you know, like these jet engine algorithms that serve you up uh, content that is like, hey, do you maybe like sometimes lose your keys or get like walk into the room and forget why you were there? You might have ADHD. And because TikTok professionalized as well, <laughs> so that there is there is now hard, cold hard cash to be made for influencers per view. And so, you know, it's kind of it's this perfect storm in some ways. And that doesn't mean that people who are diagnosing online, I diagnosed myself, like I initially got the idea. I didn't diagnose myself. Like I, you know, I got the idea that huh, maybe this is me from looking at social media, from looking at like memes and videos and going, oh, I do relate to that. Oh, and then doing some more research and getting there. So I'm not saying that's not a, a reasonable way to start. And there are great, like, there is great support in those online communities. They're kind of, they're really cool places in some ways, but there are a lot of people who online, maybe trying to sell you coaching, maybe yeah, trying right. to sell you services, maybe just trying to get their views up, just get some shares, um, who are, uh, there's this sort of industry that sprung up around, um, around ADHD on social media as well. And an industry on the other side, bricks and mortar world, and they will fleece you for a diagnosis as well. Is so. it possible though, Ange, that the way we live now, particularly in this sort of hyper-switched on, plugged into social media, bombarded with a million mm. ideas a second and unable to let your brain sort of wander, which is certainly the way that I live. I, mean, I, I cannot be bored. I pick out my phone and I, I just feed more mm. you know, information and adrenaline, whatever, into my system all the time. I'm mm-hmm. sort of addicted to it. Is that creating or, or is that basically making us into – creatures of ADHD, which is, I'm not trying to say it's Mm. not real, it's not a thing, but I'm wondering Mm. if the way that we live is actually sort of exacerbating what's going on such that, I mean, if part of the the condition is an issue with attention and an issue with focus, Mm. which I gather it is, Mm -hmm. don't we live in a world that is constantly Mm. trying to stop us from focusing? Mm. Okay, so two things. Um, There is like a a bit of a narrative, and, and I know what you're saying is more complex than this, but if we were just to shrink it down to its kind of crudest version, it's mm. like, is social media giving people ADHD? And the short answer, well, the, the the long and the short answer to that is no, there's no data to yeah. back up that. Then if we sort of split it out and go, okay, well, is social media and like the, the byproduct, let's call it internet poisoning, yeah. is the fact That's that we have okay. internet poisoning mm. tricking us into thinking that we have ADHD. And that is like a, a maybe. Now, look, if you go to a doctor uh, and they are a good doctor and most are, um, they there is a more rigorous framework oh, for sure. assessing it than just mm. going like, is your attention, like, do you have split focus? Oh, and there's a lot more you going know? on, I know, in the condition yeah, yeah, yeah. than just that. But, you know, in terms of people seeking, to, like thinking, looking at memes, looking at TikToks and going, oh, I, I think I have this. Um, based on that experience of being short of attention, mm. um, overstimulated, that kind of thing, yes, 
yes, yeah, it's technically possible that, you know, they might have, they might be, you know, essentially experiencing internet poisoning. But look, the other thing about ADHD that we know now that we didn't know before is that it flies in a flock with other conditions yeah. and it predisposes you if you have lifelong untreated ADHD, you know, you, you're more likely to develop, I don't know, anxiety, depression. Um, you know, it can be confused with PTSD some of the time. Like there are, there are a lot of, like maybe if you think you have ADHD, it doesn't mean, oh, you're making it up for attention. Like you might have something else or yeah, you might have both. You might have like a it's co- comorbidity. I interviewed someone about Tourette's syndrome last mm. week and that seems to have quite similar kind of neural pathways going on mm. even though it's, it's a somewhat different condition. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's a lot of kind of things that it has in common. So there's certainly a lot going on there. So maybe a lot of us were like this and just didn't A, have the language for it and B, didn't have, I guess, the awareness of it that's coming through from what you're saying, people yeah. talking about it. Yeah. And spectrum disorder is the other thing I would say. Mm. So, you know, in the same way that you can be a little bit gay, um, you can be a little bit ADHD. Well, this is the whole thing that we're understanding. I mean, certainly when I first started talking about these conditions, it was kind of an on or off. It was a binary thing. Now yeah. I understand there's spectrums and ranges and complexities. So there yeah. you go. And I, I saw you um, popping up up on the Corona cast feed of all places this weekend. With, did um, I? With, you did with Tegan Taylor talking oh, about this for her yes. new podcast. So yeah, um, a lot of people are talking about this. All right, so um, there's two episodes of Schmeichgeist on this. You had so much. Yeah, well, this is the thing. So we we initially set out to be like, well, you know, is TikTok overselling neurodivergence? Like mm. are we being tricked? Um, let's get to the bottom of it. And then like- Sounds like it reversed on itself. I found so, like it was, I was so shocked by what I found. And then I found like the instances of what looks to, look, a cynic might call it price gouging. Um, the instances of price gouging that we saw, you know, pe- people, um, psychiatrists, ADHD psychiatrists taking home salaries of, $900,000 a year. Like basically I saw something happening in the market that was so, yeah. uh, and it's not like traditionally what we would do on, Sh- on Schmeich guys. Traditionally we'd like look at trends and. That like, sounds like some hard journalism. Yeah. Well, you know, 15 years of training is, yeah. is hard to, um, is hard to bench as it turns out. And I was like, why would I not cover this? This is a huge story. And it sounds like utter bullshit to, yeah. to be getting yeah. money. All right. Some people yeah. who Genuinely having quite a, a tough time. That's it. So let's finish up with the other one of the other trends that you found. And there, I guess if ADHD is two, then there's seven trends in this series of Schmeichgeist. <laughs> um, polyamory is, is big. Yeah. Which is certainly not something that exists much in my world. but um, I'm, It might exist more than you think. Well, actually, I, I have heard, I have heard tell of people in my neighbourhood who live a, a fairly swinging lifestyle and whatever. So maybe, maybe it's the thing. Um, someone <laughs> gave me a tour and, and said there's you. swingers there, there's swingers there, there's swingers there. So perhaps Amazing. now that I'm remembering, perhaps it is all going on and I'm just not aware of it. So, But I guess this is just reinventing relationships, isn't it? Yeah. So look, we polyamory we looked at uh, close up, but more generally we were looking at ethical non-monogamies. So that is like mm. anything that sits outside of monogamy that isn't cheating, right? Yes, yeah, so something negotiated. That's- yeah, 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 yeah. We've all agreed to this um, and, you know, we hope it's ethical. Is it always? <laughs> not necessarily. It's certainly complicated, I'm sure, but no, I mean not doing things behind your partners or plural partners' backs. Yeah, mm. yeah, so important. And look, um, again, and just because of the way that we've this is this episode has shaken out between you and I, uh, it does seem like I've just picked exclusively topics that um, are about me specifically. But part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because so I'm Polly. 
All so, right. Yeah. So, and I have been, um, you know, in different permutations of et- ethical non-monogamous, eth- ethically non-monogamous, anyway, E&M relationships for most of my adult life. Um, and I have no, like I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just wired that way and it's just kind of how I am. And it's just a sort of bottom line for me. Whenever I meet someone new, I kind of try and get it out nice and early because no one, you know, you don't want to like fall in love with someone and then find out later. Cause it, you know, some people just can't do it and that's fine. Yeah. It's not for everyone. I can't not do it. Mm. It's not good for me. Um, to not do it. Uh, and it's not about sex either necessarily. It's not like I simply must fuck everyone. It's, it's really, uh, it's really about intimacy for a lot of people. And that's what it is for me as well. And creating like, not creating conditions where you're then going to get yourself into a mess because you have a connection with a new person and then you make yourself unhappy by denying that or worse, you know, God forbid being really dishonest about it or something. I remember a friend of mine in my early twenties, absolutely insisting to all of us that the right number was four. <laughs> more than four just got too complicated, but four partners was the right number to have. If you had fewer than that, Look, you in, were missing out. In if you this had economy, more, what a mess. In this economy, yeah. you can't be like earning enough money to live on and have four partners. That was when dating was cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and living was cheaper because mm. you've got to be working a certain number a week. Like, you know, anyway, I, I don't think I got a, I got a few partners. I think a few and months I just later, thank, thank my stars that some of them are like overseas and interstate because otherwise yeah. I don't know what I would do. A few months later, this person announced, um, actually we've decided to go exclusive and then went back to four. It was just, it was a journey. <laughs> it was a whole journey. And it but can I, be. I yeah. guess this is the thing that we talk about this. We're aware of this. But this has always happened. There's always been polyamory, but it just hasn't been the ethical sort. It's been secretive. <laughs> yeah. And look, um, I think there, again, there's a lesser stigma around this now. And mm. for all of the harm that social media has done us, which is, you know, massive. <laughs> massive. massive. There's another podcast um, series for you. Yeah. I feel like we all know what's in that one yeah, though, right? So. We lived it. Um, but what it has done is allowed for a conversation to happen around this kind of, these practices. So it's the ethical bit that's new. It's to try and actually be open about it and make sense of it. Yeah. It's new. And I think. I admire that. Also the, yeah, which is just more visible now and people have, so, you know, I mean, the seminal text, so so to speak, on this topic is, um, is the ethical slut. Right. And that was an attempt to kind of reclaim. And this was, ooh, I want to say in the 90s, but yeah, it, it was an attempt to kind of reclaim this. But that is like the worst thing that you can think about yourself if you don't have other examples or a framework or a community or other people saying, hey, yeah, no, we do this. And it doesn't mean that you're Satan spawn hmm. or, um, or a big old slut. Or unless that is something that that's a word you enjoy, in well, which that, case, that go word for it. Was reclaimed in the night. I, mean, I remember been, seeing that happening. That yeah, was, that was people were having fun with that. But but I guess what I'm saying is like now you when you see more examples. I remember when I first started doing this, there were I, I had so few examples. I did mm. not know anyone who was doing it, and I found myself constantly having to defend it to the people in my life to whom I was out, which was relatively few then, clearly mm. much more now. Um, we make a podcast about it. Yeah, yeah we made podcasts about it. Um, but now I don't have to anymore and it, it's just been really, I mean, apart from, you know, whatever mapping we can do of this, I've been, I've just seen it around me. It's just become something that either people have been doing more or they're admitting to now. I think a lot of couples actually do have various arrangements and things, particularly oh, if they're living separately. I've certainly seen that. I've yeah. certainly seen a lot of And that. that's E&M, you know. Yeah. But, but uh, and, and in older people that I know, like, you know. People, that's right. People even older than me. But <laughs> I guess the other thing is as well, one of the extraordinary things about the internet and some degree, so much of Schmike Geist is about the internet because yeah. it's such a big 
part of how we, any culture evolves these days yeah. is that if you are in what was previously a niche and fringe practice in your community, it's easy to find a community of online of millions of people who are similar to you. I mean, yeah. we find our tribes online and it's massively affirming. And anyone you talk to who's grown up in, I don't know, in a small village or a country town or something like that, who has just never felt like they that they felt they were unique in that environment, now can go online and discover, look, not at all. Yeah. This is something that is universal in, in human society. So that's very uplifting and affirming. And I guess too, I mean, I just always come back to this sort of stuff, just as long as there's happiness involved for everyone, I mean, which is not always easy to a, a, achieve, God knows, but mm. who cares as long as people are enjoying themselves? Totally. There is still a sensitivity around this and I think I really discovered that making this podcast and trying to talk about it, um, you know, because the ABC does really serve the the whole of Australia and, and so, you you know, when I was talking about it on various stations and things, I really found that, uh, look, as much as the stigma is lowered and the conversation is, is a much more evolved one, mm. particularly online and in younger generations, uh, the there is still like a, there is still a real kind of fear around it um, in other parts of the community and I was reminded of that in making this episode and, can, um, and talking about it. But I can believe that. Yeah, it's go. not impossible to believe. All right. Well, and you've got uh, the whole series is up now. Schmeitgeist, go to the place where you get podcasts from. In fact, this place, wherever you're getting this one from, you can get Schmeitgeist from as well. Also the ABC Listen app, I'm sh- sure you, we should mention, just so you can sure. plug the thing you meant to plug. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you meant to plug. Um, got, but got, there's also <laughs> a plug for a debate coming up this weekend. You yeah. have got some amazing people, including, of all people, Norman Swan in I what I believe is a comedy debate. I, yeah. I'm kind of really fascinated to, to hear how that goes. Yeah. Um, you know, Australia's favourite comedian, Norman Swan. Yeah. Um, uh, with, with, you know, up-to-date Coronacast <laughs> opinions and lols. Yeah. We've also got... Uh, Alex Lee, we've got James Colley, uh, we've got Annalise Constable, uh, Anna Piper Scott, Elfie Scott, no relation, um, but yeah, just like a wildly good lineup of uh, of comedians and journalists and Dr Norman Swan and Dr and Dr Norman Swan, um, who I've uh, bullied into arguing for ethical non-monogamy. Um, so. We will be settling the matter once and for all. Um, the winners will write the subsequent legislation, which kind of relationship is legally permitted in Australia. Oh, right. Henceforth, so yeah. This, so this could is mean that those decisive. of us who aren't ethical um, uh, non-monogamous, <laughs> non-monogamous are about to yeah, get so our lives the, opened up. The monogs and the non-monogs. Mm. Yeah. So this is instead of the plebiscite. We thought we'd, you know, we thought we'd just. It settle seems it like way. a more ethical way to do it. If you just do it in a debate at Vivid, it saves time. Yeah, it does save to do time. A, a yeah. Postal survey. So this uh, is Saturday, where is it? Saturday. Uh, at 6.30 p.m. Um, at the Vivid Ideas Exchange in the CBD of Sydney. Uh, you can find the tickets on the Vivid website or via my socials. There will be a link in the bio. There you go. So, the, Ange, thanks for coming in and talking us through all those things. I, I it's, guess well, I've it's sort of seen. Charles wasn't here because we wouldn't have. We just couldn't have got through all that. If no, I don't think so. Yeah, um, but there's even more in the in yeah. the full podcast series. Yeah, always so nice to chat, Ange. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Our gear is from Rode. We're part of the Iconoclast Network. Say ya. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project. There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or 
anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.